got on my tractor and I, with my divine rod in my hand, and I said, show me where I should start planting my trees. And it marked out this, I had a plow on the back of the tractor, and I marked out this area. No, that God wanted me to plant with trees. And um, I've been guided by something, whatever people want to call it. I'm, I'm happy with the word God myself. But <laughs> I've been guided in so many ways. It's just so amazing. All, all these um, um, multi-billionaires who want to go to Mars, you know, it's ridiculous. They should want to colonize our deserts. And this, I'm sure, is going to happen. And so what I'm doing now, and I haven't got the money to do it, so I want to find a philanthropist who can help finance it. But instead of just injecting one squirt of water under each fruit ball as it's planted, I want to do them at several different depths below the tree. So there's a column of moist soil, because it's just a matter of providing sufficient moisture for that little seedling to survive long enough for its roots to get down to permanent moisture. You got to accentuate the positive. Wow! I feel good. A little bit of feel good goes a long way. You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just bad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? If you feel like that's what you want to do. Hello and welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. Thank you so much for joining me. Remember, if you like the shows, remember to send me a comment or like and subscribe to any platform that you're watching them on. Well, have I got a delicious guest to introduce you to today. I actually met him, well, I heard about him through Amrik Madhu, who was on the show at the end of last year talking about planting trees with drones and uh, David and, and Marik got together and uh, anyway David's a fascinating person welcome to the show David <laughs> Kenneth <Thank you>, <laughs> and Thank David's you. over there in his name is David Kennett and he's over there in Western Australia when I say over there for those of you who don't understand Australia I'm in Sydney on the other side of the country like it's kind of like being on the other side of the states it's about the same distance maybe i don't know so you're all the way over there in western australia five hours apart by jumbo <laughs> five hours apart by jumbo it took me longer when i flew it's over big. there a couple yeah. of years ago but yes. yeah and uh we've been yakking online i tell you I, I i contact people for a quick talk but you know to meet them before the show and two hours later we're still talking <laughs> <laughs> We've, we've got a lot to talk about. The cat's come to say hello. We've got a lot to talk about. I'm, I'm going to read out your quite extensive bio. You sent me a short bio, but I kind of put a few things together so people get an idea of who you are. Okay. So, so here we go. I'll, I'll correct you if necessary, okay? You can correct me when I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> when David became unemployed in 1998, he began a passionate research into forestry practices in Australia discovering practices that challenged many deeply entrenched beliefs. He recognised that traditional forestry methods inherited from Britain were possibly not the most appropriate for low rainfall regions of Australia. With an interest in water divining, and we'll talk about what that is later, he wondered whether this little understood talent might be able to reveal hidden secrets about nature trees and plants in general. When he divines, he, his default setting is to locate 
underground low water uh, as water is so important to life and the land. It was with this interest he became aware that through our sixth sense, we are all connected to something beyond our imagination. Finally, he thought, if something is able to tell me where water is and the depth of it and the quality of it and the low uh, you know, rate of flow, what else might be able to tell me? He discovered he could divine for water, not just on sites, but also on a map, even a sketch of a property, and now on Google Earth uh, images anywhere on the planet. He set himself a goal to discover ways to make farm forestry in low rainfall districts a financially rewarding and effective means for addressing environmental issues. David felt convinced that if sufficient farmers were to come on board and implement effective forestry methods by planting just a moderate 5% of their cleared land, they could collectively produce, produce worthwhile benefits for rural economics and the environment in general. But he discovered that something was amiss as he purchased a property in 2001 in Western Australia, as I said, on the other side of the country to me. David says, and this is in your words, the first time I walked on it, in certain places I burst out crying. A few days later, the person from whom I purchased the property came to see me and to see how things were going. And while having a cup of tea, they said to me, you'll think I'm strange when I tell you this, but every time I would come over here and he pointed to the place where I had cried, David says, I would burst out crying. Naturally, I told him that I believed him and it, hit, it had also happened to me. Two more visitors at different times had the same experience, David says. I divined, which is the, the thing that you do, divined, and determined a 22-year-old woman had committed suicide in that location in 1897. Words came to me, David says, into my head and I prayed, something I never did, you say, <laughs> that the spirit guides of the deceased person come and collect her spirit and guide her to God so she could find peace or as God sees fit. And I think about in that time, you weren't really sort of into the whole God thing, were you? You were no, more, that's more, right. of, more of a scientist. So there you were sort of fumbling around in the dark. <laughs> Nobody has cried since that time, you say, and I seem to be particularly sensitive to spirit entities. And I realise that some of them can be very disruptive, which could result in getting incorrect information when divining for water. One has to protect oneself from this happening. And before I go anywhere on a property, I check out, I check uh, them out for spirits on Google Earth and right. pass them over. So you're on the map and you're checking out where spirits are sort of there and you pass them over before you even get to the property, right? Yes, yes, exactly. They seem to be everywhere, David says. As several times I have detected them and people knew of the particular incidents. They can impact adversely on people's mental health and the performance of businesses, etc. Sadly, it is very difficult to get people in Western society to believe in such things. What has been revealed to me over the years, David says, has been amazing, in particular about nature and restoring the environment to save mankind from self-destruction makes mm. me want to cry. <laughs> David has taught thousands of students in Nepal, 
how to develop their inherent sixth sense where they have been able to obtain amazing results in a multitude of different fields. The Aurora AU Aurora, A-U-R-A-A, <laughs> -A, uh, which is the name of your business, Arid Region Forestry Research Project was begun by David in 2001 when he purchased 440 acres of highly degraded land in a low rainfall region of Western Australia. By 2010, the project was enlarged to cover 600 acres and in excess of 500,000 trees have been planted. Oh, over a million now. Oh, okay, this is old. Over that's a old. That's trees. old information. <laughs> You're going to correct me if I was wrong. Oh, wow, that's, in, that's impressive. In recognition of this, uh, its accomplishments, Aurea was a finalist in the category of Meeting the Greenhouse Challenges in 2009. United Nations Association of Australia World Environment Day Award. In 2011, he was also again a finalist, uh, this time in the individual award category. Yeah, so I was going to say I heard about you through the beautiful Amrik Madur, who I had on at the end of the show. You two have teamed up to plant trees. He's got the drone thing happening. Yes, yes. And you've got the, the, you know, the formula to, to plant trees. And he was talking about you when I had him on the end of the show and I thought, hmm, I have to meet this guy and hear his story. So we did connect before the show and we yacked for hours. Let's go back to the beginning. How did you get into this? Like you were kind of, you said at the, be at the beginning of this, you, you became unemployed. That's right. Yes. You had a passion to, I don't know, serve Mother Earth in some way. Well, I was put on, uh, I was made redundant when I was um, 60 and I was put on work experience at a government department. They keep on changing the names, of course, but in those days, this particular department was called, um, uh, well, what the heck was it called? Water and Rivers Commission. And one of my roles was to take phone calls from people who were wanting groundwater information in order to put down boards or wells. And... Anyway, one of the instructions I was given was that if anybody phoned from the Darling Scarp, which is the hill, range of hills behind to, or to the eastern side of Perth, if anybody phoned from those areas, tell them not to even bother to look because it was impossible to find good quality water. Um, any water that was found was sal highly saline and um, very low flows. Anyway, I, I took this as a challenge and I advertised in the Hills Gazette newspaper and lots of people contacted me who were desperate for water. And I found lots of really good quality water for people. And so I thought, wow, I'm pretty good at this um, because I'd had a fascination for it all my life and all sorts of occultish things, I suppose, to give it a, a term. And, uh, but I'd, I'd never really got proof that things would work. But of course, when people were putting down their bores and phoning me up and they say, Wonderful, David. Everybody around here's only got salty water, and now we've got wonderful flows of good water. So, so that's how it all started off. Then um, I also learned that um, the agriculture department, CSRO, CARM, etc., all these government departments were saying that in order to combat salinity, which is such a major problem in Western Australia and also India, out of interest, and um, and it's spreading all the way across Australia that they'd have to revegetate 80% of their cleared land. And I thought, this is absolutely ridiculous. If you tell somebody 
but they've got to revegetate 80% of the cleared land. They say, well, I won't bother to plant any trees. So um, you know, they can't afford to take that sort of area out of production or the cost of such an exercise. Anyway, by chance, guided by spirit or something, I met this elderly forester. And uh, so I told him that my concept that I had in mind was um, to plant trees above underground streams, which I could detect by divining, and uh, they would reduce the recharge of the water tables, which is the cause of um, salinity because the water tables rise. But what I didn't realize was that uh, the water tables don't rise as a result of um, the underground streams. They rise as a result of just the rainfall that falls in that particular area. The underground streams can come from not just hundreds of kilometers away, but thousands of kilometers away. Mm. And this is why the quality of the water is so much better. Mm. And they can either be below the, the water table or above the water table. Um, um, anyway, so... Uh, he thought this was a pretty good idea, and uh, but then he went and died on me, so that was a bit unfortunate. <laughs> then he went and died on you. Oh well, it doesn't mean you can't still talk to him. So That's okay, a... so let's let's get back to divining for people who don't know what divining is. Do you want to do you want to uh, explain what that is? Yes, um, I should have had a divining rod on my desk. Can you just bear with me one moment? Sure, sure. Oh, we'll wait. I'll have a cup of tea. I'll just have a cup of tea. It's only a problem. Sorry about that. <laughs> I should have been better prepared. That's fine. It's really interesting. So often when I give talks about divining and I pick up one divining rod and these people say to me, oh, but you should use two. And I say, oh. well, who's the expert here? You or me? <laughs> and I say, well, I used to use two, but what would happen is you go across an, an underground stream and either they'd go together like that or they'd go apart. And mm -hmm. I said, do you experience that? And they will say, yes. So I say, do you know what the meaning of that is? And they'd say, no. So I say, well, okay, you're admitting that I'm the expert. So I say, if it goes to the right, that is the direction of flow. If it goes to the left, that's the direction of flow. Uh -huh. But what is so amazing is we all have default settings in our brain. Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned, if we don't ask for anything and we just walk across the landscape, it will respond to water. And it will, for me, point downstream. But for other people, it will point upstream. But you can then just say, in future, I want you to point the other way. And straight away, it'll change direction. You can just talk to it. You can talk to it. Yeah, it is just like, amazing. Like you talk to spirit. Okay, so if you've got two divining rods and yes. they're going in opposite directions, what does that mean? Well, for me, um, it is the right-hand one that is indicating the direction. Okay. So if, if, if they go apart, um, the right-hand one, as here in my hand, um, is pointing in that direction. Um, but if they go together, um, then it's pointing, the flow is in that direction. Mm. But it's so fascinating because you can then just say, look, I want to know how deep the water is and it's uh, below the surface. And uh, there's a variety of different ways that you can do that. Um, you can determine a depth to it and, and the quality of the water. And what I do is I just hold it in front of me and I just say, give me a rep. Can you see this on the screen, Karen? Yep, yep, yep. yep. Obviously, people who are listening on, on um, audio only can't. But All it's right. a little rod that's bent like a... Uh, like a, a L, shape. Like that's a, right. Like a bit of a triangle, yep. Mm -hmm. 
And so I'll just say, give me representation for the limit for human consumption. So it points straight out in front of me. Mm -hmm. And if I say pure H2O, it just points to my left. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I can just say, well, give me a representation of the water that's in this underground stream. And it'll give me a position there. Or if it's really bad, it'll go right the way around past that. Um, so you can determine that. And then in a, in, a, in a similar way, you can just find out the yield of the potential yield of a bore just by saying, um, um, well, I'll do this right away. I just, one of the ways is just say, will it give, yield more than 100 litres per hour or more than 1,000 litres an hour? And I say yes or no. And then you can just refine it down to a, a particular area. And um, it was amazing. There was one instance where I told them where to find the water on, the, on site and I'd estimated the depth and the quality. Anyway, he, he phoned me up and he was laughing as he came on the phone. And I said, how are things going? So he said, you're bloody brilliant, David. So I said, oh, thank you. <laughs> so uh, he said, well, we found the water where you said it would be. And he said, uh, it was at exactly the depth you said it would be, which is to the, the centimeter. And he said, um, but he said, ah, oh, he's got this wrong because he said it was pumping much more water. And he said, slowly it just, reduced and he said it came down to exactly what you had predicted wow. meters per hour so, so, um, so do you think you're talking to the spirit of the land like the davic realm uh you know uh, like through the rod and sort of instead of just having a conversation in your head you're sort of having the conversation through the rod and it's moving the rod is that what do you think is well i'm absolutely convinced um <sighs> The word God is just doesn't seem to be liked by so many people these days, but it's just a word to explain something like if I, I use the word brick, you know, straight away people know, yes, they can refer to a brick. So we've got to refer to something with the same term. So, um, so I'm happy with the word God. And I tell a joke. I say all these people were just sitting around one day and saying, you know, you know how we talk to something and they say, oh yes, well, how about we, we give it a name? So there's a dog sitting in the corner. And they said, well, how about dog? And I said, oh no, but we'll change the letters around, make it God instead of dog. So <laughs> <laughs> that's my sense of humor. Mm. Anyway, it's just a word. Nobody knows what it is, who it is, or whatever. But um, I refer to God all the time. In fact, recently I just said to me, Are you happy with the word God? And it said, yes. And I said, is, uh, would you prefer me to call you something else? And it came back as, yeah, call me. Um, Jehovah, but and then but it was spelt out because I I said spell it out for me. Um, so I went through the alphabet and I got J E H. Anyway, it came up as J E H H O V instead of A R as E R. I think when Jehovah is written, it's normally A R at the end. So, um, but I still call him God. So, and I said, ah, that was another thing. I said, are you male or female? And uh, so it came back and it said, um, neither, I am um, deport, D-E-P-O-R-T. So I, I mentioned this to a guy who's very into words, and I wish I could remember what he came back with a few days later, because I just couldn't understand this, like, like deporting an illegal immigrant, okay. that word, deport. And anyway, he came up with, another meaning for the word which um seemed um like a reasonable explanation but i can't remember what it was now 
Oh, right. okay. my, my, my memory is not the best, unfortunately, at my age. <laughs> mm. Well, you're looking good. Uh, you told me your age. You want to reveal your age to people who can see you on video? Yeah, 78. Um, 79 next month, yeah. You look amazing. You look absolutely <laughs> yeah. amazing. Oh, I'm lucky. Mm. You've got such light in your eyes. Okay, so, um, so you started talking to your divining rods or the land yes. or the nature spirit. God. God. <laughs> Your dog. <laughs> <laughs> to me, God is the um. What's a, he is the boss, and he's probably got all these other people or spirits and things as underlings. But um, um, I just uh, go to the boss every time, and um, I don't know where the replies come from. But they're instant, and this is what is so amazing. With if seven billion people in the world ask God a question at the same time. They all get an instant answer. It is as quick as that. Mm. Absolutely. It's all beyond our comprehension. Another that just came up uh, recently, um, sorry, interrupting, uh, and I divined because it's always fascinated me that uh, we are told that mankind evolved in Africa and has come out of um, and spread around the world. Anyway, so I asked God about this and he said that was a load of crap. <laughs> <laughs> so he speaks very straightforwardly he says load of crap and uh, anyway he said what happened was um there's planets that were hundreds thousands and or even millions of years ahead of us and if you think about it i don't know how long mankind's been on this earth but we've only reached the the, the learning curve that was absolutely flat for millions of years and then in the last 150 years you know, our knowledge has just increased so much. Now you imagine, and they're now talking going to Mars and places like that. And so you imagine if um, other people were a million years ahead of us in time, you know, what sort of developments they would have. Even a um, hundred years ahead, even a thousand, you know, a hundred. That's right. Years, yeah. Mm -hmm. But what he told me is the reason we have different ethnic groups on this planet is because other people on other planets destroyed their planet in exactly the same way as we're destroying ours and they came to take refuge here but of course they came in small numbers and so they didn't have the infrastructure with them so they virtually had to start from scratch so some people landed in say china and that sort of area and then they built up there but they were totally oblivious to people in africa or australia or whatever and it's only in relatively recent times that um, you know, everybody has come together. But it, as I say, the scientists all say, oh, we all evolved and came out of Africa. And it says, um, when I divine for it, it says that um, there were actually five different uh, ethnic groups on planet Earth originally. And then they were joined by these other, another five, just by coincidence, another five. Off-world groups. From five, seven, five other planets. Planets, yeah. And to me, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, what about the Incas? Is it the Incas that built Machu Picchu? They were a yeah. group of beings that came and lived for a few thousand years and then left. Yes. Got in yeah. spaceships and took off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they came to have a bit of a respite. Maybe their planet had been destroyed and they sort of came here and lived for a while and then went elsewhere. Yeah. Well, I mentioned this to somebody the other day on the internet and they said, Oh, they'd investigated this as well. And they said they don't know why people want to go to Mars because evidently, according to the answers they'd got, Mars had actually been destroyed by nuclear warfare. Right. Yeah. There you go. And yeah. 
in some timeline. But why, well, why do people want to spend millions of dollars going to Mars when, and they're going to have to wear spacesuits, they're going to have to live in geodesic, something, domes or whatever. Whereas, why don't they spend their money on um, settling in our deserts? Yes. Where they've got air to breathe and transforming those. Well, that's exactly what you're doing, right? So that's exactly what you're doing. Let's yeah, talk yeah. about let's talk about how you came up with um, you know buying the land. So yes. you've you've become unemployed. You're kind of opening to the universe, and you're discovering all this stuff. And you were guided, obviously, to buy this bit of land in Western Australia that was completely arid, like well, salt degraded, salt degraded, salt degraded. From above, it looked white because it was just like all this salt had. And everyone right. said, you cannot plant anything on this land. It's completely destroyed. Hmm. And what happened? <laughs> well, I was giving a talk down at, um, uh, somewhere down south. And there was this guy from the ag department. And I told him what my idea was, which at that stage was to plant the trees above the underground stream. Anyway, typical scientist, he just rolled his eyes back in his head. And I said, well, go and buy some land, David. And he said, well, come and have a look at them. Just see if your concepts are working. Anyway, for 20, best part of 20 years, I emailed him, please come and have a look, please come and have a look. And uh, anyway, he always said, oh, you're on the whiteboard and I'll get there sometime, but never arrived. And uh, anyway, in the meantime, I, I planted all, all these trees and uh, was more and more convinced. And uh, now I've lost my line of thought. <laughs> We're talking um, about how you came to buy the land. Oh, yes, that, that's right. So uh, I was convinced that I had to buy some land. So. Um, Spirit guided me to a particular shopping centre where I happened to know that there was a, a real estate agent with a view to getting a publication called, I um, oh, can't remember what it's called now, oh, The Realtor, that's right. Anyway, so as I went to go through the door, it was almost like somebody was pulling me back. I couldn't go through the door. It was such an amazing experience for me. But I knew that I'd been guided to this shopping centre, so I wandered around and in the end I went into a news agent again i was pulled into the news agent and I, I never go into news agents normally so i just wandered up and down the aisles and all of a sudden there was this publication bouncing up and down or it appeared to be bouncing up and down uh -huh. it obviously wasn't yeah. um, but that's how i perceived it uh -huh. and uh, anyway it was a, a publication here in western australia called crocker i don't know whether that's over east as well um, but I thought, oh, what is it? Because I've never heard of it. And I opened it up, selling secondhand stuff. And lo and behold, I opened it up and there was land. And there was this land, 600 acres, um, 300 um, salt degraded, 300 reasonable land um, at a price I could afford to pay cash for. Mm -hmm. I thought, wow. Wow. So um, anyway, so I phoned the guy up. And so I, I went, came up and had a look at it. And I, I just thought, Oh my goodness, to buy a piece of land like this you know, is absolutely crazy when, uh, although I've enjoyed gardening to a certain extent over the years, I've never done anything on mass. And so I hummed and hard about it. And then I bumped into a lady one day and uh, we were just talking general conversation. And she said, I think you should speak to this lady down in Albany, Maureen's her name. So she gave me this Maureen's phone number and she turned out to be a clairvoyant. And I got on the phone and she said, um, oh, I've got so much to tell you. She says, you just bought some terrible land. And I said, no, I haven't. And she said, I'm telling you, you bought some land. So I said, look, excuse me, but I would know if I had bought some land. So she said, well, um, you've looked at some land, have you? So I said, yes. So she said, it's got your name on it. And she said, 
and this is retro terminology, she said, doesn't matter how much you fart out about. <laughs> she said, it's got your name on it and you will end up buying it. So I thought, buggy you, I'm not going to let you influence my decision. <laughs> so this was in October and the following May, a lady came into my life and she was keen on eco-villages. And I thought, wow, that could be a good way of doing it. You know, get other people to have chalets on the property and help with the work and we could work it that way. So she came up and um, with me to have a look at the land. And I, I never used to carry a checkbook because no, they were the, the rage in those days. And, uh, but for some reason, I put my checkbook in my pocket and that night I bought, uh, bought the land without her, just on my own. So um, anyway, the, the wife of the vendor, um, she had to sign the offer and acceptance as well. And, uh, and she'd been down in Perth and she didn't arrive back in Darren until um, about midnight. And uh, so it was about three o'clock by the time I got to bed. Seven o'clock, the phone rings. And I said, hello, is that? And he says, I'm Fred. And Fred is the person from whom I bought it. So he said, what's the time? So I said, it's only about four hours since I got to bed. <laughs> you know, it's seven o'clock. So he, I said, you've got my check deposit. You've got everything, all the paperwork signed. So he said, yes. So I said, well, what's wrong? So he says, you're not going to believe this. So I said, just tell me what the news and I can go back to sleep. So he says, it's seven o'clock, as you said. And he said, this morning, I've had two people both coming in independently wanting to buy the property. Isn't that interesting? And it had been on the market for six years or something. Wow. Wow. And, and just literally hours before they visited to buy it. You bought I, it. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that fascinating? Well, if, if I hadn't bought it that day, obviously they wouldn't have made that decision because... Uh, hmm. Okay, so you bought the land, you bought this arid, salt-ridden land, which I suppose was going cheap because everyone thought, oh, you can't plant, plant anything on that. It's just, you know, it's... Well, so many people had actually leased it no, for a year or so to see right. whether they might buy it, and they just right. all just thought this is a waste of time. Hmm. Uh, so here's you with your connection to spirit or Mother Nature or the Davic realm or whatever you want to call it, your guides, <laughs> your mob. And, um, dog, God, <laughs> dog, God. <laughs> and, uh, so tell us how you knew how to regenerate the land. Cause as we've said in the bio, how many trees have you, like a million? million. Crikey. Over a million. Yeah. On, yeah, on yeah. land that was completely, you couldn't plant anything on it. You know, like the regeneration of planet earth. Thank you. Well, you could plant them, but they'd all die. So everybody right. told me. Yeah, but, uh, exactly. Yeah. But it's interesting because I was born in Sydney, but I've been back and forth to England heaps of times. And, uh, and over there, um, uh, I was quite keen on gardening over there. And everything I planted just was magical. And neighbours who were really keen on gardening, as opposed to me just being casual, they just said, what do you do that's different? And I said, well, I do put the roots in the ground. I think that's a good idea rather than the leaves. And uh, so... Um, <laughs> I do plant it right side up. Um, yeah. But obviously I've just got green fingers or green thumb. Well, you're obviously connected to the Davic realm, the yes. nature yes. spirits, the whatever yeah. you want to call it. Yeah. Whatever yeah. you want to call it. Maybe you're a little incarnated Davic fairy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway yeah. so I just I bought the land and um, the guy lent me his tractor uh, so I could, uh, in fact, 
the guy that lent me the tractor was one of the other people who had decided that just after I'd bought it to buy it. So he missed out, but he lent me his tractor and I did ripping. And it turned out that he was not really into divining at all because he's a um, born again Christian or whatever they are. And uh, they're not really into divining. And so he said, where are you going to plant your first row of trees? So I said, oh, I hadn't really thought about that yet. So he says, how about you get your divining rod out? Divining rod. Yeah, for those people that don't understand divining, divining is what we were talking about before with the rod that shows you where the underground water is. It's yes, called yes. divining. Isn't it interesting yeah. that it's called divining? Mm. Yeah, well, divine seems to be an association with God again, doesn't it? The mm, divine. It does. Mm. Yeah. So you so were divining the... on the land to find water. No, well, it wasn't really to look for water. It was just where to do anything. So I just mm -hmm. said with my divine rod as we walked in from the gate, where should I plant my first row of trees? And it just, I'd go along there and all of a sudden it just turned about 45 degrees. And so it said, plant a row of trees there. So that's what I did. And they're there to this day, as testament. <laughs> so how did you get trees to grow in this completely arid, salt-ridden soil? Like, what was the secret? Um, well, I was really just playing things by ear because I didn't, I realised that soil, uh, tree species are soil specific. You know, in some areas you'll get, we get say salmon gums growing, in another area you'll get a eucalyptus platypus growing. And, um, but um, my, while they might survive in a, in a particular area, there's um, areas where they do so much better. And I had some visitors the other day and we went down and I, I said, this, look at this row of salmon gums. And they're all good, but all of a sudden there's a soil change and they're not just good, they are fantastic. And, they, they just said in unison that if we hadn't seen this, we wouldn't have believed it, you know, because it was just so dramatic. And uh, you know, so it's pointless trying to plant trees that are not suitable. You know, it's like a lot of New South Wales trees, for argument's sake, probably wouldn't be suited to growing over here. In the same way, a lot of our Western Australian trees mightn't be suitable for growing over in the Sydney area. Mm. But um, so what I did is I just, I ordered a whole lot of trees and I had them on my trailer and I got in alignment with the divine rod and I said, show me which trees you want me to plant down this particular row. And so I just, with the trailer there, I go along and it would select the different trees. So I just put them in, and there was, generally it was five or six different varieties. So I planted them in rotation, one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six, with the thought that in some, some species might grow in one place and some species might grow in another, and so they, they die. And, uh, but it was really fascinating because um, this showed me where the soil changes were occurring. Um, but what I then discovered was that I can just say on the side of my tractor or the tree planter or whatever, I could just say, have a line. And I say, okay, this end of the line represents where we are at the moment. The other end of the line represents the far end of the row. Where should I plant this particular tree? So we'll say salmon gum. And as I go along the line, it'll say at a certain place, start planting here, stop planting there. And then I'll say with another variety, where should I plant that? And it's, it's just so incredible, Karen. It's, it identifies where the soil changes occur wow. and where one should plant the different species. You just got to talk to the land, don't you? Or the Davic realm or God or whatever you want to call it. You just got to communicate with it yeah that's right just yeah. ask and you'll be told ask. so often so often in life we say god only knows how i do that so i say to people speak to god 
if God only knows, if only God knows, ask him. <laughs> or her. Okay, or so her. how did you get involved with, you know, coming up with the kind of um, trapped spirits of, on the land or trapped thought forms or whatever you want to call it? Like, like in the, um, we talked about you finding a place, uh, what was it, where someone was crying? What was yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, well, the first time I worked on walked on the property, I went to the top and uh, uh, I looked down over the valley, which was just absolutely horrendous. There were five trees there in those days, and you just look down over this degraded land to this white <laughs> um, floodplain, and I burst out crying. And you automatically know, as a guy of seventy or whatever I was, no, whatever I was, sixty-eight or something. Um, no. Oh, I've lost track of time. Doesn't matter, you're an adult. Yeah, you've got 60 years of age, that's right. Um, you know, you, th you try and justify it to yourself while I was crying. I just thought, well, on the say-so of a bit of bent wire, I've bought this land with no experience really of growing trees to address salinity. And so I thought the magnitude of that just suddenly hit me. Uh -huh. But no, it was the fact that I divined and found that this 22-year-old woman had committed suicide on the property in 1897 and uh, but how so, did you find that out through divining or you know like you're obviously having telepathic communication with the soul yeah or, you know something well, else was going on well i just held the divine rod in my hand and i right. said somebody died here and said yes okay. so i i said whereabouts and it indicated this particular place where i'd cried so i said um uh, was it male or female and male, the divine rod turns right and female turns left. And uh, so I then said, how old was this person? More than 20? And said, yes. More than 30? No. So, so I then said 21, 22, and I said, yes. And, uh, and it indicated that um, she'd committed suicide because I just said, did she die from accident, murder or suicide? And it said suicide. Mm -hmm. And um, Anyway, so then I phoned a lady, a friend of mine, Angie, and I said, you do spiritual clearing, Angie, don't you? So she said, what's the problem? So I told her, and she said, oh, I don't have to come up. She says, you could just do it if your intent is right. Yeah. So, and I use exactly the same words. The words just came into my head. I said, um, dear God, um, oh, I look crazy. Um, I, pr I pray that the spirit guides of the deceased person come and collect the spirit and guide her to... God so she could find eternal peace and happiness as God sees fit. Right. And she went. Yeah. How did you know she but, went? But, but, hmm? How did you know she went? Because I asked the divine rod. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. But, but the guy that from whom I bought it, he, he'd come across uh, and one day and he said, oh, uh, we're having a cup of tea. And he said, oh, you'll think I'm crazy, Dave, when I tell you this. But he said, whenever I'd come across here, because his house was on the other side of the road, he said, I'd burst out crying. And I said, well, I believe you, Fred, because it's already happened to me. Yeah. And then two other people came up independently and they both burst out crying in the same place. And uh, anyway, then I realized that sometimes when I did water divining, it would be spot on and other times it would be wrong. And I realized that a lot of these spiritual entities are so tormented uh, that they'll just interfere with the divining um, and you'll get it wrong. But it is so. I, I take every property out now. Um, a, a friend of mine, well, an acquaintance rather than a friend, he sent me this email one day and he said, Oh, David, he said, I'm looking for water on my parents, my mother's property um, down in Darken, which is a couple of hundred k's away from here. 
And he said, um, so he'd just drawn a, a mud map of it on a piece of paper. So um, what he thought. Anyway, I checked it out for spirits and there was an Aboriginal spirit and there was also a, a spirit entity of a 22 year old man who'd um, died in an agricultural accident 50, 53 years before. Anyway, the very specific for just talking to a rod that's bending back and forth. Oh, that's right. So you've obviously got this communication happening. Like, yeah. without oh, well, let me just finish this story because it's okay. really fascinating. So I emailed him and told him this. So a couple of days later, uh, he contact, contacted me back and he said, I phoned my mother up. And he said, had anybody ever died? He'd asked her if anybody had ever died on the land. And she said, oh, yes, before you were born 53 years ago, a young man that was employed by your father died in the southwest corner of um, the second paddock, which is exactly where I've identified it. And did you talk to the spirit of the... Yeah, oh, I cleared it. I cleared it before I... Because I clear every entity away before I do the water divining. Okay, so they can't interrupt with the um, that's right with the results. So this is such you know fascinating information for people that are working with the land. It's so interesting because you know in your bio you said that you can have these conversations with people in uh, is it Nepal or Indonesia? Where where do you go? In uh, Nepal, yes, Nepal. Nepal. But you can't do it with farmers in Australia because they just won't you know like come at this conversation, mm. and yet you've bought this arid land full of salt, and you've planted now uh, 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 how many trees a million million, trees? million over a million a million trees, and so you've regenerated this completely unregeneratable according to science and farmers land. Mm. And, and uh, you know why aren't people sitting up and listening to you because you've you've got results you know, uh, you, you know i talk to the davic realm or talk to the spirits that are trapped on the land you know why aren't people listening to you it's, well it's like understand. humanity <laughs> well, well i used to I, I was i studied civil engineering at london university and so the idea of drains appealed to me to get rid of this water that's um because they've cleared so much natural vegetation from the landscapes the water table has risen because previously the trees would transpire all that moisture to the atmosphere and the water tables would remain low but then they've risen over the years and in the valley floors the waters come to the surface and then the, the h2o evaporates away and leaves the salt on the surface and this is why we have the problem mm -hmm. anyway these neighbors wanted to have drains through the catchment and although i didn't really want them i felt um in a forty-six thousand hectare catchment uh, with just my 242 hectares, 600 acres, um, I was such a small player that I had to really cooperate with my neighbours if I wanted to get on with them. Mm -hmm. And the only way the water could get out of the catchment in their drains was by passing through my property. So I said, well, as long as you pay for it, I'm quite happy to do it. And it was only, they were 11 kilometres long and it was only 600 metres through my property. So they were quite happy to pay for that. Um, anyway, um, what is really fascinating is that um, I had them cleaned out recently, and when the excavator came along, there was absolutely no water infiltrating the drains on my property at all. The only water that was coming into the drains was from further up the catchment. The trees had lowered the water table by over two and a half meters. Is that why the trees are growing? It's um, no some areas of the valley floor were worse than others, and so I. Again, I got on my tractor and I, with my divine rod in my hand, and I said, show me where I should start planting my trees. Mm -hmm. And I marked out this, I had a, a plough on the back of the tractor, and I marked out this area. 
No, that God wanted me to plant with trees. And um, I've been guided by something, whatever people want to call it. I'm, I'm happy with the word God myself. But I've been guided to, in so many ways. It's just so amazing. Mm. Yeah. It's and I've just expanded upon that area. As they lowered the water table a bit, I was then able to expand out a bit further. And then as those grew and loaded, I've been able to go out. And so this has all been taking place since 2001. And now, um, I'm, well, I've just about covered the entire property with trees now. Trees, so, I the, know. You've regenerated unregenerated land. You know, during the fires just after Christmas, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so much devastation happening yes. in Australia. I had, I was at a kirtan, I was at a music thing, and right. I had uh, God, for a better word, or my guides talk to me. Yes. Um, or even even Mother Gaia, it could have been Mother Gaia and she asked me to stand up and, and give this message to the group of about 200 people. And I didn't, I didn't have the guts to do it. There were enough people on stage. <laughs> anyway, she gave me this message and uh, she said, remember to thank the fires when you pray for rain. And um, the fires are all part of um, a balancing process that I'm going through and uh, you know, not to resist what's happening. Okay. It's devastating and people are losing property and mm. life. You know, my daughter lost everything. And oh, yeah. uh, she said at the end, she gave me a whole lot of information and I'm going to say it's mother guy speaking to me. Uh, she said at the end, when humans learn how to live with the earth and not on the earth, you won't go through this devastation, mm -hmm. you know, because you can actually, sometimes the fires come to regenerate the land, like, like driving through the coast uh, recently and seeing the black trees just like sprout with like all yeah. up the whole, just like, just go bang with new life and within a few short months all these dead forests will be just alive with life it's almost mm -hmm. like this fire has just regenerated the will regenerate this so it's it's burnt down quite a few properties my daughter's being one of them but um and that's what you're doing david you're 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 communicating with her you know i call her a her mother yes, nature yes. instead yes. of just on her like you're living with her not just on her so you're actually doing what she said to do. When humans learn to live with her instead of just on her, they won't go through the devastation that we've experienced with the mm. fires. Yeah. Well, nature is just so clever, or God is so clever, or God, whatever it is. It is just so amazing. And um, people are so rude about weeds. No, weeds have such terrible connotations associated with them. But if we don't plant anything on the land, God will grow weeds. God will. <laughs> and, and they will improve the soil. Uh -huh. But everybody says, oh, they're terrible. And um, everybody who recommends uh, growing trees, all the so-called experts, uh, they say, oh, you've got to kill all the weeds with glyphosate before you plant your trees, because otherwise uh, um, the weeds are going to compete for moisture and nutrients in the soil, and they'll kill them. Well, what I've discovered is that they don't kill them. They are adding nutrients to the soil. And, but everybody wants to follow the English type methods for planting trees. And so because in Western Australia, traditionally our rain comes mostly in the wintertime, um, they say, I'll oh, plant the trees then. But as soon as the winter rains arrive, the weeds just grow dramatically. And, uh, and because the seedlings are so short, the weeds shade them and deprive the, the little trees from daylight. And without light, they die. 
But if you wait till the end of August, when all the winter weeds have died naturally, they've completed their life cycle to, in order to procreate, they've all died. I plow them in, I plant my trees in September, October, November, and even in December some years, um, and I get 100% survival because there's, it's so dry. We don't, well, except for this year, for some reason, we're getting all this rain now. But normally, there's just no weeds that germinate in the summertime. Yeah. So the trees just say thank you. And one day I went out there and it was 43 degrees when we stopped work. It went up to 50 degrees on my oh, thermometer wow. on the balcony. That's Celsius <laughs> for people that are listening. Yeah. yeah. Translate that into Fahrenheit. That yeah, it's about 140 boy, degrees. That is hot. Yeah. Anyway, I went down the next day thinking all these trees are going to be frizzled. And there they were blowing around in the breeze saying, thank you, David. Thank you, David. <laughs> Virtually 100% survival. But another thing that I do with a divining rod, there's a, a, a chronic weed here really infests everywhere in the agricultural region. It's called African lovegrass. And obviously it came from Africa. Anyway, one of the other things I do, if I say, say, lead for argument's sake, the divining rod would just rotate to due north. If I say gold, it'll go to another angle. If I say nitrogen, it goes about um, uh, west. And if I say um, um, magnesium, it'll go about east. So, so there's different compass bearings, two and a half degrees apart, which um, represent each of these radii, if you like, in a circle, represent different elements. So I asked what element this particular African lovegrass is putting into the soil. Now, the soils in Western Australia are some of the most nutrient-deficient soils in the world. Right. And so if a plant comes along and it recognises it's got a role to play, it's not because of what is there as regards nutrients, it's what is not there. And this is a whole paradigm shift. Okay. So this African lovegrass recognises that the soil is lacking in magnesium. And so I mixed up some Epsom salts, a kilogram in a thousand liter firefighter, and I sprayed the um, African lovegrass with this magnesium sulfate, and it's all died. No chemicals, nasty chemicals, just a natural element, no, a naturally occurring element that is vital for improving the soil. Wow. And but it's killed the weed. The weed has said, you've put me out of work. Yeah, I'm not needed. Yeah. And there was a guy came up from a government department recently, and all he wanted to do was talk, talk, talk about his achievements. And I thought, bugger you, you've, you've come up here to find out what I'm doing. And anyway, finally, he, he realized that, uh, the folly. And we went down and I said, would you be interested in having a look at this, um, the way the magnesium sulfate has killed the weed? So he said, oh, yes, yes, yes. And you could see, I'm going to prove you wrong, David. <laughs> His whole attitude was so science-based. And uh, anyway, when we get, get to the, where I'd sprayed these weeds, he jumps out of the car with great enthusiasm and he goes over and he pulls it. And, uh, and I said, um, is it dead? He said, yes, it's definitely dead. <laughs> he, was, he was virtually annoyed that I was right. Yeah. And this is a problem we face. And... Uh, Karen, it so annoys me because most of these experts, they've just been to university or school and university and they've just learned to repeat what they've been told. They've, they've, very few have actually come up with new research and new ideas themselves. And these ideas have so, become so deeply entrenched. When somebody offers a solution which is different from what they've been taught, they just can't handle it. Mm -mm. Mm. 
Well, you know, we've got a few uh, internet problems because uh, there was a big storm in Western Australia, which knocked out the internet. So we couldn't do this yesterday. So for people that are watching this, not listening to it, you'll see that David's out of sync sometimes. So what do you think, David, will uh, change that? What, what, what do you think will change that? You're obviously completely connected to the Davic realm, the, you know, the nature spirits and communing and communicating with them. What do you think can change? You know? Well, I'll tell you how I've been guided on this pathway because it's so amazing. As I said, I've been, I was born in Sydney and been to England back and forth. And every time I was working in England, I earned heaps of money. And every time I came home to Australia, I went broke. And so I'd go back to England again. <laughs> and anyway, I came back to Australia in 1980 and I went into some into business with um, three other guys, one of whom was a crook and he just cleared me out financially. And I thought, oh, yeah. anyway, so I, I thought, I want a job where I can just clock on and clock off and get, get regular money and be able to get a mortgage again and buy another house. So lo and behold, um, I phone up um, MTT, which is Metropolitan Transport Trust, who ran the buses in Perth. So, uh, um, so I said, is there any chance you're looking for bus drivers? I thought no, that'd be simple because I enjoy driving and I enjoy a bit of interaction with people. And uh, so I said, oh, no, we won't um, even send you an application form because we got such a long waiting list already. So that was on the Wednesday or the Thursday. And on the, uh, Friday, my cousin phones me up and he says, David, he says, I've got a request. So I said, what's that? So he said, oh, I've been invited to a party. And he said, I hate parties as much as you do. But he said, I feel the need to go along to this party. So would you come along? At least we can talk to each other. So I said, okay, that's fair enough. So we went along. In the course of conversation, the host says to me, um, what do you do for a job, David? So I said, well, as a matter of fact, I've just lost all my money and I'm just wanting to find a job where I can clock on and clock off. So he says, have you ever thought of driving buses? So I said, as a matter of fact, I have. I said, I just phoned up MTT on Wednesday and they said that they wouldn't even send me out an application list. So he said, do you know what my job is? So I said, I haven't a clue. He said, I'm the employment officer for MTT. <laughs> I love now, it. Don't you love it? If that's not divine guidance, what is? Synchro destiny, that is. That's right. Synchro destiny. Yep. Anyway, then in 1998, they were privatizing the buses. And uh, so and I'd, I'd been thinking of you know, getting out of and doing something um, to make better use of the education I'd had. And uh, anyway, one of the women bus drivers, she said to me, if you ever see this uh, guy, Patrick, um, he calls himself the clairvoyant to the clairvoyant, make sure you see him. So lo and behold, I was going to a weekend market with a view to setting up a stand uh, to do some sales. And so I see this Patrick there. So I go along and he said, wow. He says, um, thanks for coming to see me. He says, I've been waiting for you. So I said, oh, really? So he said, yeah. I thought it was a load of bullshit. <laughs> so he said, I've got a wealth of stuff to tell you. So I said, well, sit. so he said, sit down. So he said, um, he said, uh, through no fault of your own, there's going to be a major direction, change of direction in your life. Well, when the buses were privatized, none of the private companies wanted me because on the application forms, uh, they said, have you had major surgery? And I'd had spinal operation. Uh -huh. And so I was rejected by all the private companies. Uh, anyway, so he then went on to say, this massive change of direction, you'll be using your intuition. Mm. And he said, uh, you're going to have a great deal of resentment for what you're doing for a long period of time. He said, um, after about five years, a younger man will come into your life who will be uh, really interested in what you're doing. And that's when I met Amrick. Rick? Amrick? 
But yeah. beautiful. Okay. Yeah. So um, anyway, so he said uh, we'd be uh, associated for the rest of our lives. And uh, then he said, um, although it scared the living daylight out of me, he says, because uh, you don't like talking to crowds of people. I'm happy on a one-to-one -one basis, but I'd never stand up in front of a crowd of people and spout anything. He said, you'll, you'll end up talking to crowds the sort of size that the, the Pope attracts. Wow. And he I said, can see that. I, I'm sitting here as you're yakking away. And I'm thinking, I've got to introduce you to Penny Kelly. And uh, you've got to get online and start talking. I'm th all these things are going through my head about how you can start to share your knowledge, especially yeah. with that communion or communication you have with the land. Yeah. Uh, you know, I know you call it God, but you're, you know, you're really connected to the Davic realm and, and you're talking mm. to them through your divining rods. Mm. Whatever you call it, it doesn't really matter what you call yeah, it. It's right. working, you know, you've got proof. You've got this regenerated yeah. of completely arid land because you're tapped in, turned on, tuned into this connection with Gaia herself, with Mother yeah. Gaia and her Davic realm, um, or call it God if you like. Mm. Yeah, and I can see you talking to crowds of people too. You know, you've got the proof behind you, David. You've got this mm -hmm. land. Anyway, so go on, Amrick. Yep, and, and you'd be he'd be talking to people the size of like the Pope. Yep. What else did he say? Anyway, so um, um, I then thought, well, I should get onto Facebook, and so yeah. I post on Facebook, and a young forester uh, in Nepal contacted me, and uh, from that I've got over three thousand five hundred friends in Nepal now. Um, I went over in 2018 just for a short period of time and also I visited um, India and they loved what I was doing um, but I got very ill over there um, so I curtailed the trip unfortunately but that's just how it had to be. Anyway everybody I'd gone to invited me back they said please come again so mm -hmm. I went back um, last year um, 2019 and uh, spent three months over there and um, again people were so disappointed they were saying no please come here and please come there and uh, but there just wasn't enough time so i've booked my flight and i'm going back on the first of may um this year and and what um, are you teaching them over there you're teaching them to divine with the divine divine. rods yeah i realize our <sighs> Our divining, our connection to divas or whatever you want to call it, is just so phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And when I teach these, well, first of all, most of the school places I go to are schools, and I like to teach those 16, 17, 18 year olds because they are receptive to new ideas. Older people anywhere in the world are much more close minded. Mm -hmm. And you you have this crowd of 40 or 50 children in a class, and there's pathway down the middle of the desks and whatever and all the kids are looking on and whatever so I say you come here and so I put a divining rod in their hand I just say walk down there and I've already walked down there myself so I know where the underground streams are and as they go along the divine rod turns and their eyes just about pop out of their head you know what's what's causing that <laughs> and they're very shy initially to come forward and volunteer but by the end of the class Everybody says, oh, let me have a divine rod. I want to have a go. I want to have a go. And the enthusiasm is just absolutely amazing. Oh. Um, so it, it's so satisfying. So anyway, there's a principal of a school, and he's got 60 other schools under his control. And uh, anyway, he, he arranged for me to give uh, classes at different schools. And um, anyway, uh, so 
I've been I've sent him all the contacts I've got, and he said he's worked out a schedule for eighty-five days. <laughs> wow! Yeah, but it is amazing because um, a lot of people are worried about spirits and things, and um, but they are there. And when I was in Gorka Hotel one night, this spirit literally attacked me, and I was thrown against the wall. And it was huh? a bit like a, a comic magazine, though, like Wham Bam, you know. And I, there was all these, uh, like, uh, chat bubbles or whatever you call them. I don't know what you call them, but, um, but I could see these words and hear these words. And then I went to bed, and I had this most terrible dream. Um, I was rotting in a, in a um, coffin, you know, buried alive. And, uh -huh. Oh, and I just, anyway, in the morning I went down, and I don't know why I didn't do it during the night or beforehand. And I divined that where I'd been attacked, there was this spiritual entity there who obviously didn't like me for some reason. Maybe so just I didn't like anybody. I don't think it was personal. So what mm. did you do? So I cleared it. And uh, for one of the other schools, I went there and you don't know who you're going to see there and whatever. And normally you go in and they offer you a cup of tea in the, in the uh, teacher's room and uh, meet the principal and whatever. And then you go to the class and conduct the class. And generally some of the teachers come to the class as well. Anyway, at the end of this, when I arrived at the school, I went in through the main gate and there was a large playground and I went through and I just divined and there was two spiritual entities there. One was an eight-year-old boy who'd died at some stage and I can't remember what the other one was. Um, anyway, in the course of the class, um, <clears throat> I mentioned that I, I'd cleared these spirits. Anyway, I, when the class finished, the pr principal said to me, Let, let's go and have a cup of tea now. So he said, oh, you mentioned that uh, you cleared a couple of spirits in the playground, so I said yes. So he said, can you just um, check, check out the rest of the building place? So I said yes. So he got up to go and I said, look, we don't have to go. I said, just draw a sketch of it on the ground or on the coffee table. And uh, so, so, so he just said, well, that, that's about the shape of the school. So I said, fine. So I divined and I said, oh, look, there's a spiritual entity there and there's a spiritual entity there. He said, David, that is amazing. He said, whenever I go through that, those two places, he said, I get a cold chill. He said, I know there's something there. Wow. Yeah. That's so, uh, so how do you clear them? You just ask them politely to leave, you know, thank no, you. No, just as I mentioned earlier, I just call upon the spirit guides and the deceased person to come and collect them and guide them to God so that they can find eternal peace and happiness as God sees fit. That's so funny because I, you know, I experienced the same thing in the shower. I had this conversation with uh, Michael Tamora, a brilliant teacher that I have on the show, who's actually coming on next week. And I was in the shower and I saw this hideous face that had obviously been shot. He looked like he'd been shot in the eye. His eye had been, and he was kind of scary. And I, you know, clearing spirit guides is not really my job, uh, no. but I just said the same thing. I just said, you know, guys that look after him, come get him. And I said to this guy, you know, I know you're reaching out to me, but listen to these guys. I, I don't know what to do. Go, <laughs> go speak to them. <laughs> I, I had no idea what to do. I just was like, wow, oh, a scary face in the shower in my third eye. Yeah. yeah. So I did the same thing. You just asked the spirit guides, like, listen to your spirit guides. So why do you think they've not listened to the spirit guides before that? I don't know. I really yeah. didn't know. So many of the, Abor the spirits that I come across are actually of Aboriginal young men uh, between okay. the ages of 16 and 26. Is this on your uh, land or in general? Uh, any, in general, anyway. Mm. And uh, when anybody says, could I do water divining, I'll check out their properties. Or if people phone up and they say, look, they've got entities there that are causing problems. So I check these out first of all. 
And, uh, so how old did you say there were Aboriginal spirits between 16 what? to 26. And they always... They've committed they were, suicide or something? When it, and so when I ask how they died, it is always as a result of suicide. Yeah. But it's not suicide as we see it. Right. What has happened is that they've committed a crime which in their society is punishable by having the bone pointed at them. Oh. And they die. So they've died as a result of their own actions. Oh. Uh, and it almost always is rape. Wow. They've committed rape. Wow, David. Yeah. Wow. And they're everywhere. There's a lady, um, she contacted me one time and she's got a house in Perth and she said that this son has got a poltergeist in his room. And she said, it is terrible. She, this poltergeist just throws him around. Anyway, I looked it on Google Earth and I identified a, a corner of the house where there was this spirit there and I cleared it. And anyway, she phoned me up and she said, David, magic, no, no problem. Anyway, then she contacted me again and she said, oh, never told you, but we're fly in, fly out up on the mines. And she said, there's a guy there, a Yugoslav guy who's okay when he's in Perth, but as soon as he goes to the mines, he's absolutely in a terrible mental state. And uh, anyway, so I looked at the mine site, which was way out somewhere in the bush, and there was all these dongers, and there was slap bang in the middle of these dongers, there was this um, spirit guide. So I cleared the spirit, and anyway, she contacted me a couple of weeks later, and she saw um, the shifts of um, met up again, so she said, I had a word with this guy whose name was whatever it was. And she said, how are you feeling these days? And he said, I don't know what's happened, but no problems now. And oh, so wow. she, she, she then told him what she, that she told me about him and what his problem was. And, uh, so you have to explain to people what a donger is. Oh, right. A donger is... <laughs> I, was staying one, I was staying in a donger on the weekend and I was telling people, ah, oh, the dongers. Anyway, tell people what a donger is. <laughs> Donger is a transportable living accommodation that they use on that mine site. So Very they, basic. They've definitely got a bedroom and a, um, a shower room and a kitchen and whatever. And it's just like a, a shipping container, really. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah we went to a festival on the weekend. Fabulous festival, Unity Festival, 500 of us dancing and singing. Mm. And oh, we had a great time. Anyway. And uh, we stayed in this really basic accommodation. It was just a, a, like a little wooden house and just wooden um, board uh, sort of, um, you know, bunks, just with mm -hmm. a little sponge mattress. And I'm like, oh, a donger! Because <laughs> I, I stayed in a donger before and everyone's looking at me going, a what? <laughs> it's like, we're living in a donger. So There's like eight of us. You could sleep 10 in this little tiny box. Anyway, I snored. I said to everyone, I hope I don't keep you awake with my snoring. <laughs> It's strange, though, when people mention things in conversation, other things just pop into your own mind as well. And uh, when you're talking about these beds, it just about made me cry. One of the boarding schools I went to, they said, oh, come through and look at the accommodation. They had bunk beds, rather like behind my doona here, um, but not springs or anything, just flat steel. Oh, and no mattress on top. No mattress. Oh. And at the end was a couple of blankets. But it gets so cold up there in summer, in winter, and so hot in summer. So, so where's this in uh, in Nepal? Ne Nepal, Nepal. I, I, I used I used to say Nepal, but they all say Nepal. Nepal, so. Nepal. Well, I'm not oh, trying okay. to go off. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. But so, they are just so, so amazing. 
they're very receptive to you, you over there and you found the Australians are not as much. That's right. But yeah. they're particularly receptive when you can show them something that they can identify with. Right. And uh, one of the place schools I went to, I said, look, we'll try and have a look at the school on Google Earth. Um, but this was in Kathmandu and it's the most polluted city on the planet. Wow. Uh, anyway, so you just couldn't see the school. So I said, look, don't worry about it. I said, I would draw the shape of the of the school grounds on the coffee table. So I just said, right, this corner of the coffee table is you know, that edge of the property. And so the divine rod goes out and it does like a, a rectangle, but with a triangle cut off one corner. And the five teachers in the room just all went, that's amazing. And they said, that's exactly the shape of it. Wow. Absolutely amazing. And then I divined for spirit changes and cleared them and it's just, but, but while I say they're so open to it, there was, there was a guy that um, um, used to be the Shah's president here, and farmer, and a uh, farmer and his wife, and the wife is a, um, uh, not a priest, but whatever you call them, um, Anglican, whatever. And uh, anyway, so they got this property and that they were handing over to their son and daughter-in-law. Anyway, they said, oh, how, and, I'd participated in some tree planting up there many, many years ago before I had my own property. Mm. And so I said, look, I'd love to have a look at these trees. So we go over there and he says, look, I've just, um, and he was on his, he and I were on our own and the wife wasn't with us at that stage. So he said, look, I've just got to sign these documents handing over the property. Uh, so he said, that's rather private business, obviously. So he said, do you mind just waiting outside while I do that? So I said, no problem. So while I'm out there just kicking the tires of the car, I just think, oh, I wonder if there's an unusual shape of a paddock on their property. So I drew this, this particular shape of this paddock. So then I, um, I just wait a few minutes and he came out and I said, um, have you, uh, Dale, have, have you got a, 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 one of your paddocks this shape? So he said, oh yes. He said, we call it so-and-so. So I said, oh, fantastic. So anyway, with that, the wife drew up in her car and so I said, oh, let's just have a look at where the saw changes occur. And uh, so then, as I say, the wife just arrived and uh, she, he says to her, um, oh, David's just identified such and such a property. She said, oh, yes, not knowing really what identified meant. And, uh, but it was there drawn on the ground, you know, about eight, eight foot square. And, uh, and he said, he's just going to identify where the saw changes. So I identify where the soil changes occur. He said, that's amazing. He said, when my dad and I cleared the land, he said, on that area of land, there was such and such a tree growing. And he said, on that area of land, there was a different type of tree growing. And he said, that's exactly right. Now you'd have thought in his position as a Shah president, he would have been enthusiastic. But whenever we go to a meeting and he gets up and talks, he always refers me to me as the greenie in a very sarcastic term. Mm. Uh, look, that's not such a bad term, a greenie. You've been called worse things. You know. Oh, that, that's right. But it's, it's not what's said, but it's the tone in which it's said. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've been up here for 20 years, and I've only had one person call in unannounced in that time. Uh, and through the grapevine, I hear that, oh, so-and-so is really impressed with what you're doing. And I think, well, why the hell don't they come and tell me? rather than telling a third party. And why don't they come and have a look at what I'm actually doing so they can learn from it or whatever? Well, but, let's, let's have a chat about how you and Amrik got together. So Amrik 
a passionate greenie, if you want to use that word, yeah. passionate about the land and the regeneration of Mother Gaia, you know, came up with this idea to plant trees with drones. And uh, we discussed it on the show at the end of last year, if you want to see our conversation. It's a beautiful conversation. Mm -hmm. And then you guys got together. So what are you guys doing together? And I don't want to sound negative, but I've got all these million trees now. They produce billions of seeds every year, but you hardly see a naturally occurring tree. It's, um, you know, nature produces these vast numbers of seeds because it knows that the difficulty is to get them to, to germinate and grow. And oh, this is another thing that I've actually discovered, which is just so amazing. Um, if I can just go on to this, if you don't mind. Um, in the 1940s, just after the war, there was a couple of American scientists working in Germany, and they discovered within the Earth's magnetic field an electromagnetic grid pattern, which is um, named after one of the scientists, uh, Dr. Manfred Curry, it's called the Curry Grid. And these grid squares, I imagine they get smaller as you get to the poles and larger as you get to the equator. But here and also in Nepal, um, they're about 2.2 meters square. Anyway, these scientists never recognized the significance of them. Anyway, through the divining, you can just find them. Anybody with a, who can use a divine rod can just say, show me the, a curry grid square, and they'll just mark it out on the ground. And they're oriented to the northwest to southeast and from the northeast to southwest. And uh, um, what I've discovered is that there's, within each of these 2.2 meter squares, there's 500 energy lines running that way, and there's 500 running that way, which gives you 250,000 intersection points. And what I've discovered is that every tree, the seed of every tree is predisposed to a different and specific intersection point. So when the seed from a salmon gum happens to fall in exactly the right place, even though there might be other germination of seeds around it, when the conditions get tough, the one that survives is the one that's happened to have fallen in exactly the right place. And it's dramatic. And you can go along with a tree planter. I cannot divine the position of each and every tree. It's impossible. No, so it's just potluck where the trees grow. Anyway, this elderly forester who I met um, originally, um, and I came up with this concept of planting over underground streams. We, he took me about around different um, plantations to see what the effect of the underground streams were on the trees. And I said to him, Charles, why is this about 2% of the trees are like this and all the rest are like that? And he said, David, if you can find out the reason, you'll be worth a million dollars. And you can prove this mathematically um, that if you've got a grid pattern and you're basically planting a tree with a tree plant in a grid pattern, you know, depending on how the grids overlay each other, about 2% of the right positions will coincide. Um, I don't know if I'm explaining that very well. And this is why it happens. And at one of the universities in Nepal, I taught them all how to divine for the ideal position for a tree. And just coincidentally, there was a row of trees, I can't remember what they were, down the, um, the driveway outside the college. Must have been 70 or 80 of them, I suppose. So all these students come out with divine rods in their hand and I say, right, no, divine for the ideal position for each of the trees. Now, about a meter due south of the ideal position for any tree, there's a worse position. And anybody who's planted trees always knows 
that if you plant a lot of trees, there's always the odd one that dies. And again, they're about 2%. And so they go along, and there was one tree that was massive and exactly the right place. Another one, which is not so good, it was about 20, 30 centimeters away from the ideal place. Then there was a gap, and that was exactly a meter due south of the, the ideal place. And we went along, and it was just so conclusive that, you know, this was accurate. And I've got rows of trees here, and there's a whole row of salmon gums. They're absolutely beautiful. And I had some people come up just the other day, and I said, look, come and look at these, because they really do identify um, the reality of what I'm doing. And so there's these salmon gums. I suppose there's 20 salmon gums. And they're all doing diff performing differently. But there's two that are doing really well compared with the others. And they're in exactly the right place. Then there's a soil change occurring. And you can see the trees that were going along at this level all of a sudden are up there, <laughs> twice the height. And you can just see they are so healthy. And then there's one, again, just one out of another 20 or 30, I suppose that is in exactly the right place. And whereas the others are about this sort of diameter, this one's like that. And, but I can't get scientists to come up. They will not look. And, and so you have to really communicate with the land in order to, like really communicate with the land, either through your divining uh, with the rods or psychically. Mm -hmm. so this clairvoyant that I saw years ago, he just said that, no, I'd be... Uh, traveling all around the world and teaching people. And I'm sure Nepal is the stepping point, stepping stone. Well, we'll have to keep you on earth for a few, uh, I don't know, a couple of decades, a few decades. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to I'm live well to into your hundreds. <laughs> I, I'm going to live to 120, I know that. Mm. Oh, good. Okay, so I had a bit of a chat to an Aboriginal uh, elder in, um, in spirit. Uh, some friends of mine uh, a while ago asked me to come and clear some energy near a cemetery and I it was interesting I said oh, I don't do that I'm not interested in that anyway I woke up in the morning and I'm like I'm going <laughs> so I, there, I have no idea what I'm doing and I meet an old friend when I say old we've known each other for a while uh, who I just was with on the weekend actually Fiona I'm going to get her on the show and we go into a cemetery where we're told not to go because it's like murky energy in there so we go into it's like we're here to clear and well that's where we're going into where the murky energy is Anyway, this Aboriginal elder turned up in spirit and gave me this unbelievable vision of future Australia, future Earth, really. What? said that, you know, Australia is so arid now because uh, when you fly over it, it's so mm. dry. It's unbelievable. But in years to come, it will regenerate, like the whole of Australia will regenerate. But they, he said to me, um, this Aboriginal elder said to me that we didn't want humanity in a huge numbers on planet, on, on Australia in their current consciousness. And when humanity lifts their consciousness and we all love each other and learn to get on and learn to communicate with the Davic realm and nature and learn to sort of work with each other, you know, then Australia would regenerate, would regenerate and it would be this lush country, you know, it wouldn't be this arid sort of almost desert when you fly over the center of it. So dry. And I have just goosebumps. All and, over. And that is just affirmation that this is so right. Yeah. And, I and myself are absolutely convinced that the whole of the Nullarbor plain is just going to become forest and jungle. Oh yeah. Well, and and there was this great there was this great lake, you know, this water under Australia that we yeah. and if that's the great artesian basin, isn't it, that he was talking about. That's There's right. this all this water under Australia that we can 
tap into and that's that's what you've been sort of you've been talking to you know mother nature if you like about all this yeah so it was really interesting but he said it was purposely made arid because he they they you know gaia herself just didn't want humanity in their current consciousness or over the last few hundred thousand years on this land you know and and you look at this vast land mass which is massive and this tiny population yes you know, that's purposely that's like that's purposeful and um yeah 90 well, so, of australia is arid or semi-arid yeah and I, i'm just in the process of trying to make a youtube video and i'm having so much difficulty. i've fun I've, I've recorded about 20 times and every time i record i think oh I, I need to clarify that so i rewrite the script and do it again and i've just about got it right now and so now I've got to add videos into it and whatever, and hopefully I can manage to do that. But in it, I'm just saying exactly this, that uh, we can revegetate the desert. There's a program on television the other day, and there was these Bedouins in the Sahara Desert, and they just moved camp on a regular basis. And in the middle of the Sahara Desert, they just dig a hole about two meters deep, and there's water there. Yeah. So my methods, I've developed technology with my tree planter, which... Um, when you, when we plant seedlings, they're about this tall, about 25, 30 centimeters tall. Well, if that was a seedling that had germinated in the bush, that the roots of that tree would occupy two or three cubic meters of soil. But it's a tiny little root ball, about an inch by an inch by an inch and a half, something like that. And so to sustain it, it's it's though know, because it's got these leaves, it's transpiring moisture. It's a real challenge. So. Most people, you know, what I tell people is they have to um, soak the root balls in water and then you plant the tree really deep. So the, the root ball is about that far below the ground. So just a couple of leaves showing. So you reduce the demand for moisture. And everybody wants to water trees in, but that's the worst thing you do. Because yeah. if it's hot and dry, the water evaporates away and it sucks all the moisture out of the ground. And uh, so I plant them deep. And this has been the basis of what I do. So then I thought, well, for more and more arid regions, I've got to do something better. So now I've come up with a system, after a lot of failures, of where I inject water under each seedling just after it's been planted. If you inject it too much water or under too much pressure, it takes a line of least resistance, which is up to the surface, and again, it evaporates away. And literally, we did this in October one year when it was about 40 degrees, and trees planted at 7 o'clock in the morning were dead by lunchtime. And when you dug them up, you'd have thought the root ball had been in an oven. <laughs> Absolutely unbelievable. All the moisture's gone from it. Uh, but nobody wants to come and have a look at these things, unfortunately. But so, now, yeah. now, now. All, all these um, um, multi-billionaires who want to go to Mars, you know, it's ridiculous. They should want to colonize our deserts. And this, I'm sure, is going to happen. And so what I'm doing now, and I haven't got the money to do it, so I want to find a philanthropist who can help finance it. But instead of just injecting one squirt of water under each root ball as it's planted, I want to do them at several different depths below the tree. So there's a column of moist soil, because it's just a matter of providing sufficient moisture for that little seedling to survive long enough for its roots to get down to permanent moisture. And once we can do that, as long as there's a tree growing in the desert, and I've got a couple of photographs that I'm going to show people of isolated trees growing in deserts, that tree is indicating that there is water there and it has got its roots down to that water. And if we can, if one's growing naturally, 
we can grow millions. Mm, mm. Mm, mm, mm. So just God just needs some help. Guy needs some help. <laughs> God just guy. Uh, so how did you get the salt out of your land? Like, how did you plant trees in in unplantable, you know, land with all that salt? Well, as I mentioned earlier, I went on to the floodplain and uh, I just asked the divine rod where I should plant initially. And uh, in floodplains, generally the floodplain is not absolutely flat. They tend to be more el slightly elevated, probably only half a metre in the middle. And anyway, it identified this area. And so I planted that. And what has happened over time, um, they have lowered the water table locally. The water table might be like this, but then there'd, there'd be a depression there. Mm. And then so slowly you can expand out beyond it. And so it's a, a gradual process, but it's, um, I also uh, um, plant on what I call raised beds. I accumulate the soil into a raised bed, which mm -hmm. is probably about um, 30 centimetres above the surrounding area. And um, people, it then tends to act as a wick and it draws the moisture up into the there. So it tends to um, retain the moisture. But also everybody recognises that... Um, most of the nutrients in the soil are in the topsoil. And so if you accumulate that topsoil into a mound, you're accumulating the nutrients as well. And so any trees that you plant in that mound are going to do better or should do better. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, so that's, when you look at your land, that's what you've done. You've got these mounds and the trees. And yes, and they're not very big. Uh, they're only quite small. And over a period of time, they're probably just um, vertically... Out. Just flatten out with yeah. the, and it also creates like ridges for water co to collect too next to them, doesn't yes, it? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. When you're collecting it, you know, you've got the ground coming along here, there's a bit of a depression before because uh, that's where you've accumulated the soil. So if there is rain, it'll go in those depressions and then that in itself will infiltrate. Into under the, the, yeah. The, okay, so we've, we've covered a few things. I'm going to wrap it up now. But, you know, you're talking about all these disincarnate spirits that are sort of creating havoc. Yes. On, in schools and in, on the land. What about in the city, David? Have you noticed that you come across, like there must be plenty of like disincarnate spirits that have not crossed over that are creating havoc. I remember a friend of mine, she's crossed over now, but she was in a house and she wouldn't go, she wouldn't stay in the house. She said it was a haunted house. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then she got some people in to clear it. Uh, do, you, do you discover much of that in the city? Oh, yes, yes. There's an elderly lady friend. She died several years ago now, unfortunately, but a lovely old lady. And she and I used to go out for meals on, on a regular basis. And my favourite restaurant was a particular one. And she liked it as well. So we'd go to this. The first time we went to this place and found it, uh, I thought, wow, it looks so nice, and but there's nobody here. And it was on the corner of a main main drag and a side street. And uh, you know, we went in there and the meal was absolutely fantastic. And I said... Is this a typical night? And they said, oh, yes, you know, we don't get a lot of business. So I said to um, Lavinia, I said, uh, I, I'm sh I feel there's a bad spirit around here somewhere. So I'll just go out to the car and get my divine rod. Right outside the door, there was a spirit of an old man who'd been knocked down and killed by a car in an accident. Wow. Any anyway, I cleared it. And, and it was interesting because during the evening, we'd see people walk up to the door and look at the menu and just walk away. And the menu was where this guy had died. And um, anyway, so we, I went down again. It was only a couple of weeks later. And I said, that meal was fantastic at the restaurant, wasn't it? How about we go to the same one? So she said, yes. So we go there. It's buzzing. <laughs> Absolutely buzzing. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. 
I love it. Okay, so so for those people who feel like maybe they've got some disincarn, some some grumpy spirit hanging around, like lingering, how can they clear it? Like what when you say you clear it, do you just pray and ask their spirit guides to take them home like I did in the shower and you've done? Like is yeah. that is that what people can do? Yeah, I'm sure anybody can do it. Uh, I think as, as long as their intent is right. Um, I always feel it's rather nice to be able to identify who they are. Okay. And, so, and I do that by divining. And uh, recently I, do, I was asked to do some divining for some people. And uh, anyway, when I went down there to give them the, um, what I discovered, um, there's actually two houses and uh, like a granny flat. And then about 100 metres beyond that, there's another house. And I'd... When I divined it, there was a bad spirit under the granny flat. And anyway, so I go along and I see the husband and wife. And we have a chat and we go out and I identify the place for the boar, et cetera. And anyway, and I told them that I'd cleared the spirit from the granny flat area. A couple of weeks later, I bumped into the husband and he said to me, you know, you said you cleared the spirit from the granny flat. So I said, yes. He says, he said, I'm a true believer now, David, because he said the mother-in-law lives there, as I knew. And he said, she has always been a pain in the butt. And he said, but since you did it, there's been an absolute personality change. She said she has now become the most beautiful, loving person imaginable. There you are. And I've had this sort of response from so many different people. But um, there's another story that I tell, and it's really lovely when you can get confirmation and I did a whole lot of water dividing for five different farmers up at um, a place called Perendry. And uh, anyway, um, one of the guys there, it turned out he'd been the, um, uh, the Shah president for five years. And so he knew, knew the Shah really well. So he said, would you mind clearing the spirits all around the Shah? And I said, God, it's, you know, it's enormous. But I, I said, I'm happy to make a start. Anyway, so he gets out this great big map of the Shah of Perendry, and there's a road running in um, east-west and then an intersection. Anyway, so I normally start at the southeast corner of a property and just go along, and then when I get to the particular place where there's an entity, the divine rod will turn, and then I just put, put my divine rod back to square, and then I go up there and I just say, no. then when I get to the, I find the east and west location first, and then the north and south. So anyway, there was this intersection where I divined that two young men had died in an accident and I told them the day and the month and the year. And uh, so I said, it was the car accident, truck accident, motorcycle accident. No, 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 no. Uh, anyway, he smiled at me and he said, David, this is phenomenal. He said, um, he said, on that day, that month, that year, two young men died in a small aircraft that crashed at that corner. Wow. So did you send them off to the light? Like spirit oh, yeah. guides come yeah. collect these, you know, yep. whatever's left, remnants, memories, thought forms, spirits, I don't know. Come collect them, take But them there's out. so many bad energies in houses. There's a lady I used to know, and uh, anyway, um, there used to be a sanatorium um, nearby, so now it's a prison farm. And uh, anyway, it was a sanatorium up till the 1950s or something. And anyway, on her property, I got that a um, person suffering from tuberculosis that was in the sanatorium had gone bushwalking and had got lost and died on her property. Anyway, so I cleared that away. We never got to the house. Anyway, then um, she's, I, phoned, I phoned her and I said, look, we've never cleared the house. And she said, oh, that across my mind. She said, when can you come again? So I said, look, just send me a, um, a house plan. And I said, I can just check it out remotely. So she sends me this house plan. And so 
first thing I did was I said, is this accurate? And I said, no. <laughs> so I phoned Rob and I said, look, it's saying the house, house plan isn't accurate. And she's saying, oh, she said, what does it say in the bottom left-hand corner? So I said, so and so. Oh, she said, that was the original plan. She said, we decided to change something. <laughs> so, so she said, I'll send you the, other, the, the latest version. So that was approved. So anyway, there's a doorway coming from a kitchen in the corner of a room and the door opens up back against this wall. And uh, anyway, I got that there was a uh, really bad energy there. And, uh, and it's funny because when I was in Sydney last time, I went to quite a lot of places. I remember one house, which was in, I can't remember where it was, but somewhere just off the harbour on the North Shore. And uh, anyway, um, the ceiling was very high and it was absolutely packed with bookcases, book, bookshelves and books. And uh, anyway, it said there was a really bad energy. And I pulled out this book, which was about two murders, un unsolved murders, <laughs> which was really quite fascinating. Um, anyway, um, you know, I've lost my line of thought again. Uh, you were clearing the house for a ladyship bad energy. Oh, that's right. Anyway, as I say, this door opened up against this wall and I phoned her up and I said, look, there's this really bad energy behind the kitchen door where it opens up into the dining room. And I said, there's no place for bookshelves or anything there because often there's books or different things. And she said, oh, I've, I've got a poster board there. So I said, well, I can tell you how high it is off the ground and how far it is from the corner. So I told her and she said, so she runs across the mobile phone and she said, oh, yes this board she's got this poster board where she puts all the postcards from different people and she saw oh, there's this postcard from this person and she says i have to admit it's not a very nice person this bad energy was interesting, isn't that interesting so what did she do she just removed the postcard or well i cleared the energy but my grand maternal grandfather was the manager for the sydney harbour ferries before the sydney harbour bridge was built and there were vehicular ferries that went across from Milston Point into into Circular Quay, I suppose. And uh, anyway, on my bedroom wall, I've got a on my dining room wall, I've got a picture of the the um, the landing place for the vehicular ferries on the uh, on the north side of the harbour. Anyway, so when I discovered I could do these things, I went around the house and found these energies, and there were bad energies in this spirit. And they came from people who were drowned at that ferry terminal. Wow. Well, I have to say about all this, <laughs> we're going to wrap it up in a minute, but I have to say about all this, love conquers all. So yes. even when you move into a house where murders have happened or whatever's happened and the energy is still lingering, you can transform it with your love. I remember moving into a house and a small young family had moved out. And it wasn't that, that it was bad energy. It's just that I was sleeping in one of the rooms where a little kid had slept. And this little kid got up early and he was, or she or he was restless. There was this really restless energy and I could not sleep in this bedroom. Mm. You know, I was restless. So I spoke to my mob, my spirit guides, said what's happening and they showed me that this little kid had been there and the little kid hadn't been particularly happy not nothing too dramatic just very restless and that restless energy was still living in that bedroom you know and I was being affected by it mm. trying to sleep uh, so they didn't actually ask me to clear it as much as just to expand my energy to right. dominate that and so right. love does that love right. dominates yeah. Love cleans, love wipes away, 
just love and appreciation and just, you know, just to love and appreciate. And that's what I did to sort of clear the energy, just allow that love energy that you are, that mm. happy, joyous energy to dominate the energy and um, and all energy that's not a vibrational match with it will no longer you know linger there in this right. space. Yes. Um, that's what I was told by my mob anyway, because you know you can imagine that all over the planet there have been places where people have been murdered and terrible things have happened. We live in a you know third density. We live in a very polarized environment. There's a lot of crap going on and lots of people have died. So yeah. don't get too scared about all this ghost type energy. We just have to raise our vibration so that our vibe dominates, you know, love conquers all really dominates yeah. over all the distortion that is on this planet. And um, you seem to be very specific that you can hone in, especially on the land, mm. but uh, you also have a beautiful loving, you know, energy. You just, oh, thanks. you just have to look into your beautiful blue eyes, David. <laughs> Green eyes. <laughs> Green eyes. Look into that camera. Let people, people see those beautiful eyes. I, 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 I don't know why they look blue. Oh, well, they look yeah, green, blue. Oh, look, they're beautiful. Oh, thank you. Darling one, there's just so much more we could say. Oh, I just need to get you working. I don't know. We need to get people listening to you. There's a lady in Germany that follows me, and she, she said there's something wrong with her land. Anyway, I discovered that um, um, a whole lot of, um, what do they call them, freedom fighters or whatever they were during the war, had all been murdered on her property by right. the Gestapo. Right. Uh, anyway, I cleared them and she just said the place was transformed. Yeah, yeah. I guess you just come in there with your bright, sparky energy and you just, you just dominate that space. It's all about love. It. Love, yeah, you know. Love, right. love, love conquers all. Yes. Conquers all. <laughs> and it's great that we're going to, and as I say, Amrick and myself, are, oh, wow, I'm getting these buzz again that we're just going to collectively, though, just make forests from the, Perth all the way across to Sydney. Yes, well, yes, that's exactly right. I mean, I so negative. Mm, I, I bought a whole lot of trees from Amrick's, um for my brother and sister-in-law and the family. I didn't know what to buy them. You know, what do you buy somebody that's got everyone? So I just spent a few hundred dollars and I gave them a certificate. And I go, there you go. You're repopul. You're replanting. You're regenerating <laughs> the land. There's your Christmas present. Uh, I just really wanted to support what he was doing and. Um, yeah. He was speaking about you helping him and uh, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Hmm. Oh, I could talk to you all day. It's been so fascinating. Thank you so much. Oh, Karen, I'm just so grateful to you. For, well, and to Amrick for introducing us and uh, for you um, being enthusiastic about what you're doing and, and what I'm doing and wow, wonderful. Yeah. Well, nothing, happens the, by chance. Just, oh, nothing happens by chance. I'm just the start of it. I don't think that that person who gave you that reading was wrong. I think that, uh, you were very, you're going to be very busy with your technology and your wisdom. I'd like to see you come out here. You know, I've just been at this big festival called um, Unity. I'd like to see you come out and talk at festivals and stuff and, right. and educate. You know, there's so many young people who are so connected to the land. So, yeah, they're all opening up. The younger generation is a different I, I met this young man called Jake, who I want to have on the show who's such an Aussie, he's like a bush tucker guy. And uh, he's just, 
you know, he's just been living out in the bush and he used to have the long dreadies, but then he started run for parliament because he wanted to stop mining and he, want, he, want, yes. he had to get serious. So he cut all his locks off and he got serious, but he is the most awesome person. So connected to the land and he's white, but he's got this indigenous soul, you know, yes, and yes. Uh, he, yeah, he just, just an amazing amazing dogmatic you know he's got his like i'm right and you're wrong but i i saw him you know i saw him sort of changing as he was hanging out with all these spiritual hippies and they you know the, the, he was like listening to all these different points of view and he was sort of softening and maybe i shouldn't be so dogmatic and you know but you've got to be like a real warrior when you're up against um politicians and yeah interesting yeah. it was really interesting mm -hmm. thank you so much beautiful one Namaste. Namaste. <laughs> From Nepal. <And>, Namaste. <laughs> Namaste. And we'll check in with you again one day and see what, what else has been happening. Lovely speaking with you, Karen. Thanks so much for giving me this opportunity to, to have this wonderful conversation. Okay. Well, another fascinating conversation with a fascinating individual. <laughs> a bit spaced out today, I was telling him. I was spacing out as he was talking. Normally I'm more on the ball. But I've gone and made a cup of tea, so I've got a cup of tea sitting here. Yes, David Kennett, fascinating man, completely guided by the Davic realm, although he wouldn't tell you that. Calls it God. You can call it God if you like. <laughs> but uh, yeah, completely guided by nature, by Gaia. Hope you enjoyed that. Lots of uh, lots more to come from David. Uh, he says he does a lot of his uh, work overseas in Asia. He said they're much more open to what he has to say than Australians. Australians can get, especially country people, can get very you know, bullheaded, like can dig their heels in and like, nah, I'm not going to listen to any of that crap. But I think that as we've gone through the fires and huge storms and floods and he's on the other side of Australia, He's over in Western Australia and I'm in Sydney on the other side of the, it's a long way. He's experiencing these huge storms and floods and uh, Gaia, she's gone crazy at the moment. And so these bullheaded, pig-headed farmers or people that work the land, they need to wake up and listen to her speaking or her Davic realm or whatever you want to call it, the kingdom. Yes, we need, as I, the message that I got from, you know, Gaia or the mob, you need to learn how to work with the land, not just live on the land, like work with her. And David very much does that. Fascinating, fascinating man talking to, yeah, fascinating. I think I might introduce him to Penny Kelly. Hmm. That would be a match made in heaven. Yeah, they could learn from each other. Penny's much more conscious about the way she communicates with the land and all the realms, the different realms, like she talks to the, uh, you know, the gnomes and the fairies and all sorts of people. She's much more aware. She's had that Kundalini experience where it opened her up to be able to access all levels of consciousness. And uh, David's accessing it. He's accessing it. He's accessing it through his divining rods or he's accessing it through his psychic ability too. He's just not as aware as Penny is in that he's doing it. You know, he's kind of calling it God, whatever. We can call it God if you want. Anyway, 
exhausted today, went out to see this brilliant movie last night called The Portal. You have to see it. Tom Cronin, who's a meditation teacher, and I've had him on the show, has produced it with another brilliant woman whose name escapes me. I don't know people personally. I can't remember your name. Anyway, she's the director. She's brilliant too. They have produced this unbelievably beautiful movie called The Portal. It's about, um, well, it's about people's dysfunctional lives and how more functionality came when they started meditating and started getting more mindful and deliberate. So there's a woman who's living in Afghanistan. She was in a concentration camp out there or a camp. And anyway, she's teaching yoga and meditation to people in, in these war-torn areas. And there's a guy that was grew up uh, in America, a black guy, actually, interestingly enough, produced and directed um, and written by Australians. And there's no Australians in it. They're all, uh, yeah, overseas. And we spoke about that. We had a Q&A last night and... Uh, uh, he said, it's interesting, he said that Americans especially are much more open to being vulnerable and real and raw on film than Australians. There are Australians a little bit more guarded, uh, which is kind of interesting, isn't it? So, um, yeah, all the stories, it, it follows all these people's stories uh, and their traumas and what, what brought them to mindfulness or meditation and then to find their bliss inside this meditation. It's a, it's a beautifully produced movie, absolutely beautiful like any doco movie, it's a little bit slow in parts and absolutely exquisitely um, heart-wrenching in other parts. Um, but everyone views everything differently. You know, some people love it and they think it's a fast pace and some people think it's too slow. Everyone's got a different opinion, but it's a beautiful movie. And at the moment, it is not out on DVD. I'll get Tom back on the show to talk about it when it's released, but it's um, they're sort of they've released it they released it over a year ago but it's only for people that are doing sort of group sharing so you can rent it and then you know put it in a cinema and invite people along to the cinema to watch it which is what we did last night fan force is the name of the organization that does that but you have to have a group of people i think that you have to get over 70 people to make it viable um, and then have a bit of a q a about about things it's lovely that's what we did last night it was beautiful I went with my daughter because when she was going through a bit of her dark night of the soul, I, as, as her mother, couldn't teach her because I'm her mother, not her teacher, right? So I sent her off to Tom to learn meditation. I didn't know what to do with her. She was beside herself and I just thought, well, nothing you say to her breaks through her own stressful thoughts. She just has to calm those stressful thoughts down and find that connection to her inner being or to her higher self and start listening to that. And the best way to do that is through meditation. Anyway, she did his weekend course and she loved it. And now they're the best of mates. That's <laughs> so funny. Tom's gorgeous. Have a look for him on one of my shows, Tom Cronin. Lovely, beautiful man. He was like the Gordon Gecko of the um, financial world. And then he had a physical breakdown and meditation saved him. Meditation saved him. And his mission is to inspire a billion people to meditate. Only a small mission. Anyway, here I am talking about Tom. But uh, David was just lovely. I'd love to get David back on the show. He has, uh, here he is in his late 70s, but he's got such a young energy. Hasn't he got such a young energy? And he's so youthful looking. He's got these beautiful blue eyes that we couldn't look into much of the time because he was looking down when he was speaking. But he's got a big mission. He was telling me all about it after I turned off the recording. Some psychic came to him and told him all this stuff and it's starting to come true. 
and I'm a part of that prophecy. <laughs> he said that, you know, around now he would start to get out there. He's not really that tech savvy. He's more, you know, hands-on in the, on the land. But in order to get people engaged in what he's doing, and there's so many little earth angels on the planet right now, I said to him, you know, everywhere I go in Australia, especially, especially in the country, I meet these, these little nature spirits that are, in, that are in human bodies, human form that are so connected to Gaia. I was telling him that I was up in um, Mullumbimby in winter, up, uh, you know, 12 hours north of where I live in the country. And there was this gorgeous young girl with her dreadlocks handing out flies in the street of a country town. And I engaged her in conversation. She had, to, she had this thick English accent. I said, oh, and so she was in telling me about the sustainable farm that she was a part of and how they're reforestering, you know, the land and all this stuff. She was telling me all this stuff. And she had been in the country like days and she was always already in the streets of a small country town, you know, spreading the word. These little earth angels, I tell you, Davic fairies, I don't know what you want to call them, in human form that are here to protect the land, to, to work with the land, to educate people about working with her and not just living on her. Oh, it's amazing. The consciousness that's alive on planet Earth right now, the diversity, all the ascended masters, all the Davic realms, they're, they're you know, ETs. They've incarnated into human form to help transform this world, to raise her consciousness shift humanity to a higher consciousness and i tell you what that david kennett he's one of them amazing amazing man anyway forgot to say that his business aurea is australia and you take salt out of the name and you get aurea isn't that interesting aurea.net.au yeah is the name of the uh is the website to the business. Michael Tamora is coming up next week. Love Michael. Gonna have a fascinating conversation with him. I can't remember who else is after that. I've got a, people booked out for months on the show, booking people in for June, July now. So yes, more fun, more fun to come, more fun to come. I'm a poet. I didn't know it. I'm completely spaced out today. It's like I'm on drugs. I don't know. It must have been that meditation movie I went to last night. No drugs have been taken, except for my cup of tea. <laughs> anyway, I'm not going to rabbit on too much longer. Uh, love you all. I hope you enjoyed the show, and I will see you soon. Remember to buy the book. You got it, Awakened by Death. And we might get the second one out this year, which is about people's awakening. Yes. Bye for now. Big love. <laughs>